Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey listeners, I know many of you out there are independent entrepreneurs, educators, trainers, publishers, and of course, podcasters. If you're looking to monetize your passion, you have to check out memberful.com. Used by the biggest creators online, Memberful is providing best-in-class membership software for entrepreneurs and has everything you need to run a successful and scalable membership program. You can send paid email newsletters, for example, without connecting to a third-party email provider. You can also handle things like custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free trials, paid trials, in-house referrals, and so much more. And most importantly, you retain full control and ownership of your audience and your brand. Setup is super simple, so get started today at memberful.com. That's memberful.com and start earning. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed Podcast. We speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Today on the show is Mark Lachance, who founded Evo Payments International Canada, a payment solution provider and merchant acquirer. Prior to founding Evo, Mark was a founding member of both VersaPay, which was taken public in 2010, and Pivotal Payments, which is now a multi-billion dollar public company. Currently, Mark is at the helm of Maxi Media as CEO, that's Maxi, M-A-X-Y, one of the largest TikTok display network performance marketing agencies in the world. Given Mark's expertise in the payment space, we start off the episode by discussing the evolution of payment processing. We then dive into performance marketing, specifically the growth of TikTok as an ad platform and how it compares to other platforms like Facebook and Google. We also discuss Mark's new book, The Lucky Formula, which is now available on Amazon and much more. So without delay, let's get right to the show. Here is Mark Lachance. It's a, it's just amazing to have watched what has happened to the payments ecosystem going back to your days at Evo compared to, you know, what's happened with Stripe and what's happened at Shopify and everything that's happening in fintech currently. So I just wanted to rewind back to uh, your days at Evo and 2009. In your experience and, and how you sort of watched this space evolve, what do you think are some of the most exciting trends in the payment space? Well, look, I, I'd have to say exciting. I mean, we were, <laughs> when we were in the game, so we in, in 2009, we were competing, the, the banks were basically asleep, right, in Canada. And you remember, Adam, you know, all the, the banks had, were the only ones in the payment processing space. There was no Moneris or no Evo or no, you know, a, anybody else. It was basically the banks directly. And you, you had to go and get a Visa account from RBC and then a MasterCard account from, from Bank of Montreal. And the rates were something like they were they were insane when we first got in the game in Canada. They were four to five percent. So if, if you know if you had a hundred dollar uh, transaction at a restaurant, the restaurateur is paying the bank five dollars for that transaction. That's highway robbery. And then in 2012, I saw 2011, 2012 ish, they woke up, 
and they started coming back with a vengeance. And and so you know, from a pricing standpoint, you saw you know the uh, the spreads were coming down tremendously. So we used to be our profitability used to be in the 200, 150 to 200 basis points. And by the time I was gone, it was probably around 80, 90 basis points. And it, look, there's some games you can play, but it's just at the end, the only way I felt to make it really profitable was to literally play games, meaning tack on this fee or that fee, an annual fee. It's it, they're bullshit fees. And, and I, I actually didn't feel good about it, to be quite honest with you. I didn't like it at all. I've been out of the game since 2016. So even you know, just walking into a merchant shop right now and seeing the tablets in the front in, in you know, the, the technology integrations on the back end. It's a much different game than when I was in there. But merchants still have a hard time processing, you know, Visa, MasterCard, Amex from a pricing perspective. You know, if you look at, you mentioned the 5%, but if you look at the cost of, say, processing an Amex uh, at point of sale, you're still, what, three and a three and a half percent? It's probably three and a half is what, what it used to be. So it's probably the same thing. But, you know, Amex is sort of a, they're on their own, so they're back on their own. They have their, you know, their positives and negatives. But the the client has the the availability to not take Amex if they want to. But if you're a merchant, look, you want to take as many as many payment mediums as possible. Like you even want to start taking cryptocurrency. I would say now. So before Evo Canada, you were at VersaPay. You were at Pivotal Payments. I mean, you spent nearly a decade in the payment space. What brought you into that space to begin with? So I was a sports agent before that. I actually represented hockey players. Hmm. And what got me in was that I had just been fired by one of my clients. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, I was fired by another one. So I had seven, seven guys in the NHL at the same, uh, seven guys in the NHL and about 35 guys in the uh, international league, European leagues and, and American league. So I was, I was a pretty good, big practice, but losing two NHLers hit my bottom line big time, about 30%. Hmm. And Right around that time, I had met a guy in the payments business. And the guy was, at, at the time, looked 98, 99. He's making $20,000 a month and not really stressed out if he loses a client or two or three, right? So it was, 20, it was actually 20,000 recurring revenue. Plus he was getting the equipment revenue as well, where we used to be able to lease terminals and make $2,000 a pop. So all in, the guy was making $30,000 a month. That's really it, is I saw the value of recurring revenue right away. Did you guys have a high risk portfolio at all, or were you just mainly playing in the blue chip space? Well, early on in my career, we had that's we we focused a lot on high risk. Uh -huh. uh, but at Evo, we were, we were pretty much blue chip because again, their their goal, and I didn't know at the time, was to take the company public. So, if you want to take your company public, you want a lower risk portfolio that you can project out, you know, the future uh, future revenues on. But early on in in my career, I was uh, heavily focused in in high risk spaces like you know, pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, things like that. Can you define just for listeners how um, a processor would evaluate the business and ultimately underwrite the business and what businesses are considered, say, low risk, medium risk, and high risk, and how do you price accordingly? An underwriter will, will, will look at where is the merchant located, what types of transactions, what's the average transaction, what's the frequency of the transactions and all that, you know, goes into a formula and, and you get a risk profile that gets spit up. So for example, if I walk into a restaurant, it's pretty sure that, you know, I'm the owner of the card. I swipe the card and I'm present. So card present is low risk and card not present is, uh, is considered higher risk. And then within the high risk field, there's, <laughs> there's lower high risk and then there's ultra high risk. Does that still hold true? I mean, card not present now is ubiquitous given e-commerce. So that must have changed also. 
look, there still is risk out there. There's still bad actors out there. There's still opportunities to to, to defraud a, a processor. I mean, we took some major hits. I remember one of them being in Toronto, by the way. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> we, we took a $250,000 hit one month and that was, uh, that hurt. It's obvious why merchants who are uh, selling pornography, online gambling, whatever, deemed high risk, why do nutraceuticals, vitamins, supplements get deemed high risk? Uh, why do on why do tickets, event tickets, like why are those businesses considered high risk? Well, nutraceuticals, vitamins, because they could pose a health risk, and if anything, if if anything adverse happens, unlike the pharmacy, the the pharmaceutical business, these can be charged back later. So there is a liability. So that's that's why. I mean, there, it, there's a potential for a future chargeback because the product either might not work, or either may pose a health risk to the person taking it. It's hard not to talk about Stripe. They were removing so many of the inefficiencies related to acquirers, card issuing banks, credit card brands, whatever. Shopify seeks them out, noting they could remove all the headaches for their merchants. And then, boom! Midway through 2013, you get the Shopify Payments launch, which is probably the most important partnership that Shopify uh, ever does. So were you watching what was happening there? Like was Stripe uh, a use case that you guys were paying attention to? I remember back in when PayPal launched back in 2001. Yep. And we thought, oh, the sky is falling. PayPal is going to put us out of business. Never happened. And then so fast forward to today. So at Maximedia, we we actually use Stripe and we use our bank. Mm. And I, I just have to tell you that to me, the pricing on Stripe is not competitive and our bank gives us a far better deal and I can negotiate with my bank. I can't negotiate with Stripe. So I'd, I'd much rather, to be honest with you, for my particular business, because I don't need all the bells and whistles and the technology integrations, I, it's just strictly a commodity for me. So if I, if I can pay a, you know, a, a 2.1 versus you know, all in a 2.7, well, that's what I'm going to pay. And, and I don't really care about Stripe in that sense. So we're not an e-com business. Yes, e-com businesses have to use it and pay the high fees, but I don't. Do they have to use it though? Um, I'm just, I wonder like if they are setting up, you know, Stripe is a default processor for Shopify, but if you wanted to say integrate I'm your sure, I'm sure. I'm Chase sure Payments merchant account. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I assume you could do that. Um, okay, so let's let's shift gears and talk a little bit about Maxi because you brought it up. So you're now the CEO, but you came to Maxi first in 2017 because you were a client? As one gentleman named Max, <laughs> who had about 15 clients, and I was one of them. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, I had actually sold my shares in Evo. Entrepreneurs get the itch to do big things because at Evo, I had I'd grown it from zero to about 200 employees. And, you know, I wanted to do that again. I wanted to do something on a massive scale. So, you know, in 2016, 2017, I had met Max. I, I liked obviously his skill set and the opportunity to grow, put some cash into the operation. We were two people and then we quickly grew it. You know, today it's over, the number probably is about 250 with our virtual assistants in the Philippines and our creative team that's across North America. TikTok, it's hard not to bring them up relative to uh, Facebook and Google, which historically have accounted for about 60 cents of every dollar a company would spend on online advertising. So give me the state of play of these ad platforms right now as TikTok slowly moves in. Um, how do you see things shaking out and where does Maxi Media play a role in all this? 
Well, for us, it's actually, you mentioned 60%. That's funny because that's our ad spend on TikTok mm. is, and, and Facebook represents about 20%, but TikTok being the dominating platform um, and why? Well, number one, Adam, I think you've been in the online space and you know the difficulty in dealing with, with Facebook and how they, uh, they pretty much don't care about their customers is, is the best way I can put it. But TikTok, conversely, they've given us incredible service. We have, you know, we have four to five people that we can go to on a daily basis and get problems solved and, you know, risk issues handled or anything like that. Whereas Facebook, good luck getting a hold of somebody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you saw their numbers and, and they, they hit, they missed their target and, you know, saw 26% drop in their, in their uh, stock price. But I'm going to tell you, some of that has to do with their customer service. Some of, some of that has to do with how they deal with their advertisers. You're right. But it's been hard for direct to consumer brands to find other ways to acquire a customer, at least historically over the past decade right. or so, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Google, uh, have really been the two platforms that have been driving the most customers. Ultimately people see it as a necessary evil. I think it's refreshing that all of a sudden you do have a TikTok, uh, Snapchat to a lesser extent, but still relevant Snapchat, uh, Pinterest, even for brands mm -hmm. to take advantage of. How do you see, how do the CPC and CPM rates compare and ultimately where are you seeing customer acquisition costs fall on TikTok relative to Facebook relative to Google so on TikTok because of ad fatigue because the creative on the on the ad that you're buying against media against literally uh fatigues out much much quicker than than Facebook so you know we're seeing some ads die out 48 hours to maximum a week Mm. Or on Facebook, you could have the same recurring ad sitting on the platform for months and months and months. But on TikTok, you know, you've got to continually pump out fresh content and fresh ads. So, you know, to combat that, what we did is we built out a, a, an extensive creator network. And so while the, the, the traffic is, is much cheaper on TikTok, the, the overall cost, I would probably say, is about the same. So our return on, on ROI or ROAS, whatever you want to call it, overall in the aggregate is probably pretty close to the same. Mm. So that's interesting. You've got comparable ROAS, so for, for the listeners who don't know that acronym, return on ad spend, uh, comparable ROAS from Facebook and Instagram, uh, Facebook and TikTok, excuse me. But the ad variation is a real important component to think about here, because as you point out, you've got to refresh the ads every 48 hours to a week on TikTok versus Facebook. So from a resource perspective, is this not, uh, is Facebook not the still obvious default for most advertisers because it requires less maintenance? So the ROAS is cheaper on TikTok than on Facebook, but the aggregate expense is, is close to the same. So on Facebook, you can have the media buyer can also be the creator, right? So typically your media buyer, their minds work at the intersection of, let's say, of mathematics and creativity. But TikTok your media buyer is definitely not your creator because the creator has to be, uh, the creative has to be a UGC, which is a, which is a user generated content video. So the, the creative itself has to be UGC. It has to be native to the platform. And to be native to the platform, it, it could take you an hour, up to an hour to shoot, to literally shoot, edit, and launch a, a creative. And so we've got, we had to build out a team. We have, we've got now pretty close to 150 creators that are pumping out anywhere between five and 10 creatives per day. 
and our media buyers are launching those. So we're launching between, you know, four and 600 ads on a daily basis. But we've got this whole creator network to pull from. And if you want to do TikTok at scale, you're going to have to think about building something like that. So um, your agency, just so folks are clear, is now one of the largest TikTok marketing agencies in the world, are you? Um, our, our connections at TikTok tell us we're the number one advertiser in, Mont- in Canada. Sorry. In so Canada. we're the number one in terms of spend. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they told us a little while back they were in top 20 in North America. Going back to the early days, you guys saw good success with Facebook ads and then the algorithm changed. And you've said in the past that it forced you and your company to change with it. So can you explain this? It actually twice the algorithm changed on us. It was 2018 and our numbers were through the roof and then they switched it on us. Literally our numbers cut in half. And so that for, that forced us to look elsewhere. So that got us into Snapchat. And then in 2020, again, the algorithm changed and they didn't, and they freak. It's like the banks basically. So that, it, it's funny that this industry is, is so similar to the payments industry for me in, mm. in many aspects. So, you know, they're underwriters and their risk, you know, they look at their overall risk uh, portfolio and said, we don't want this type of traffic. So they, you know, in 2020, they went out and cut some of the traffic. So again, our revenue got cut in half. And so that forced us to go out and find TikTok. And just so happened that TikTok was was in beta at that time in, in the summer of 2020. And, you know, we, we jumped on it. If you were to launch a consumer brand right now online, and you knew paid acquisition was going to be the primary driver of your customer base. How would you think about spreading your ad dollars around? And how would you think about Facebook versus uh, Facebook and Instagram versus TikTok versus Snap versus Pinterest and others? You really have to test each platform. I can't tell you that, you know. So, for example, right now, e-commerce on paid advertising on TikTok is not working out that well for us. Okay. Right? So e-com is not, but e-com on Facebook and Instagram are working tremendously. So it's all about testing. I mean, what I would suggest anybody do or what I would do is test every single platform. And and again, in, in paid ads, it's not that expensive to test. A follow-up question. Individual creators aside, so take out the Charlie D'Amelios and the others who have made tens of millions or millions of dollars off of TikTok. Those individual influencers aside... And the verticals that you are doing well in, EDU, lending, payments, et cetera, those industries, which you have mentioned, maybe push those aside. What other industries do you see growing quickly on TikTok? If you want, Adam, I can send you an email later. How about that? <laughs> okay. I, I'm curious because anecdotally, I think a lot of listeners um, who are thinking about building online businesses right now are thinking about whether or not it makes sense to begin to test with TikTok. Is it even a non-starter? Like if they're an e-commerce business, as you point out, it's probably too early to start building a TikTok strategy. Probably those dollars are going to still go toward Facebook and Instagram. But if you're in the education space, if you're in the fintech space, if you are a knowledge service provider, let's say an expert in something, um, TikTok's probably a good place to experiment. So yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where, where I would look at. So what we've done very well at our app downloads, right? So you say the FinTech typically has an app. So app downloads are doing very, very well. If you're going to get an e-commerce, your, your, your ticket, your average ticket better be around the $40 range. That's what we found. If you are, if you are going to, so we, we've tested out many, many verticals and many different industries. 
you have to make it as simple as possible because we found that the attention span of a TikToker is far, far less than, than a Facebook user. You've talked in the past about conquering the entrepreneur's dilemma and how to overcome it. Before we talk about how to overcome it, what is the entrepreneur's dilemma? <laughs> well, I'll give you the story around that. So it was 20, I launched Evo in March of 20, 2009. We quickly you know, grew to 100 employees. Literally stressed out of my mind. I had something like 1,000 emails in my inbox, no prayer in ever answering all of them. And I'm like, I'm just not operating this business properly. It's running me. I'm not running it. I'm not sleeping well. And I needed a coach. So I, I typed online, business mentor, business coach. And I came to Tony Robbins. So I went to a Tony Robbins business mastery course about three weeks after that in Vegas. And as soon as I walked in, I realized I was the problem with my business. So the, the, the central theme is that if your business is stuck, you're the problem. It's because of you. You're the problem. So I quickly found out that you know, I don't need to know everything that's happening in underwriting and accounting and finance and sales and customer service and, and, and it's ridiculous. As a founder or as an owner, you think that you're the smartest in the room or you think that you're better at that particular aspect of the business than the person doing it. So you feel that you have to know everything and see everything, which is totally false. So fast forward to today, I don't buy a dollar of media. I never have. And I don't do a creative and I never have. And with the role of a CEO that wants to grow a business is to get out of their own ego and get out of their own way and hire the best people possible to run the particular division that they're running. Said in a different way, uh, the best CEO is the one whose business can run 100% without them involved. Self-managing business. That's what it, that's what Dan Sullivan calls it. And he's in Toronto as well. And I've, I've studied under Dan as well. I'm part of his program. And, and he, he really, so I, I have to credit, you know, that event with Tony Robbins and Dan Sullivan for, for teaching me literally how to run a business, a self-managing business. One of the takeaways, as you had uh, just highlighted with the Tony Robbins experience was that, you know, you're the bottleneck in the business. When, when you get back from that whole experience, how do you begin to change that? Immediately, I got back and I replaced three of the top managers in the company immediately. And that allowed me literally to breathe again, you know, because they had, at the time they were really uh, relying on, you know, me and, and I didn't see it at the time until I got back and I was like, wow, so you can't do your job without me. So that means you're not the right person. So then I had to shuffle things around and you know, we turned it around pretty quickly after that and got the cash flow positive within six months from that time. And I was able to focus on what I want to do and what I want to do best, which is, you know, sell at a higher level, business development and motivate. Let's talk about your book, The Lucky Formula. So um, how to stack the odds in your favor to cash in on your success. What's the overarching thesis of the book? So look, the thesis is there, there are little things that you can do on a daily basis that can can get you to a place mentally, physically, and psychologically that'll help you to get be, become a better and better person. I'll give you some examples. And basically get you to a point where you're attracting luck or you're attracting success. Luck and success in this case is interchangeable, right? So for example, how do you wake up in the morning, right? Do you wake up in the morning pissed off, angry, tired, you know, today's gonna suck? Or do you wake up in the morning, do you have a routine that gets you fired up, focused, uh, in a positive mental state that can allow you to be an attractive person. 
you know, so in the book we talk about there's 20 different things or, or aspects to your, your internal conditions has 10 of them and your external conditions, there's another 10. And to give you another example, Adam, I'm sure that you, you know, your circle of influence, I call it crew in the book. I'm pretty sure that people you hang around with are highly intelligent and think big and want to do great things. So if you hang around with people like that, you're going to do well. You're going to think big. You're going to think positive and do great things. But if you're hanging around people that, you know, are small thinkers and, you know, woe is me and, and, and negativity all day long, what do you think is going to happen to you? Exactly that. Is that why you left Montreal? <laughs> well, I left, you really want to get into this on this? No, I left Montreal because, um, uh, I'll, I'll call it a political refugee. We, uh, <laughs> I have different views than, than the current standing government. So mm-hmm. I said, I want to save money on taxes and I don't believe in all the mandates and all the bullshit. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to the freest place possible, which is Florida. And, uh, we're very happy here, Adam. And I'm sure you, you've been here before and you understand. Do you have kids? I do. Too. They came with you, obviously. Yeah, six and ten, and uh, no, they're loving life. No masks. No, and look, I mean, it hasn't been an issue whatsoever. And you know, they're they're not held hostage at their desk in school, and they're free. Do you think that there is a a way of thinking? You, you talked about thinking big, surrounding yourself with the right people. Do you feel like in Canada we have the right mindset? to approaching startups, entrepreneurship, building businesses? I'll give you an example here in Florida. I've been here for six months. The mindset here is that people want to help you. That people, oh, I know you're doing that. I know this guy. Speak to this guy or this gal or this person. Whereas in Montreal, I didn't, and you probably felt the same thing. I didn't get that in Montreal. I didn't, you know, it was, it's almost a, well, it is a socialist country, right? So there's a different mindset than being here in Florida where everybody is, thinks is an entrepreneur, thinks like an entrepreneur, at least the people I hang around with. And the, 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 they think in abundance and just the circle is much, much bigger. Okay, so morning routine language uh, related to employees, you talk about internal versus external factors. There are 20 of them in the book. Let's highlight a couple more here. The lucky formula is internal conditions plus external condition mastery, plus action equals luck. Okay, let's break that down. Internal plus external plus action equals luck. Equals luck. So take your internal conditions. What are those? So meditation is one. Meditation for me has been the biggest game changer, and I talk about that in the book. Another internal condition is uh, is narrative. So, you know, how do you... How do you speak to yourself? What do you say to yourself? So your personal narrative. Another one is your language. How do you speak to people? Uh, nutrition, supplementation. What do you put in your body? Do you train? Do you get your body moving? Do you, you know, do you work out? Do you meditate every day? Every single day. I haven't missed in six years. In the morning? In the morning and sometimes at night as well. Sometimes double session. So we touched on internal, um, a few examples, meditation, narrative, nutrition, training. What about external? Circle influence or crew is an external. Um, your, your family and how you, how you treat your family, your, how your language, not so language towards yourself is an internal, but language towards others, right? I think we, we've, we've kind of brushed over that, but how are you speaking to your staff? We have spoken about that. 
Isn't there a story about you making uh, a bad real estate investment back in 2006 yeah. that was transformational? It was transformational, yes. That was the, well, I think you've probably heard this before, but your biggest mistakes are your biggest uh, blessings, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I went all in. I went literally all in. I sold my shares in Pivotal Payments in 2006 and put it all in red, which was a massive mistake. But turns out today that it's a massive, uh, massive, you know, feather in my cap because it taught me a lot about leadership, taught me a lot about, <laughs> taught me a lot about doing due diligence in a deal, uh, risk management and uh, so on and so forth. But yeah, that was a colossal failure. I, I went from, you know, having multi-millions in the bank to having next to zero and being on the verge of bankruptcy. So you sell the shares in Pivotal and, and what's the investment you make? I, uh, we, we bought a, uh, a property up north. Actually, maybe you know this. La Studio it used to be a famous recording studio north of uh, Montreal. Okay. And so Rush recorded all their albums there. Uh-huh. And, uh, Bee Gees, Rolling Stones, The Police, Sting, uh, David Bowie. You know, it was a famous location. And we bought that location and 200 acres uh, around the lake. Um, at that time, uh, real estate was going crazy. But up north, the Brits were piling in. Mm. Currency was like two to one, right? So the British pound was so much stronger than the Canadian dollar. Mm-hmm. And we, we saw an opportunity to, uh, to buy a piece of property and flip it to the Brits. But, you know, wrong partner, wrong timing, wrong everything. Market crashes in 2007. Obviously tough pill to swallow. How does that affect you personally? It had a, a big impact. But then one day I, I snapped out of it. I said, look, I can't live like this. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. When you hit that rock bottom, it's a time when you... You bounce back if you're a true champion, right? Good last words. Um, Mark Lachance, the book is called The Lucky Formula. Uh, it's a bestseller. You can find it, uh, I imagine, on Amazon, anywhere you get your books. Where else can people follow uh, Maxi Media, Mark, and obviously what you're doing personally? You can find me on Instagram at Mr. Lucky Official. Mm. And again, it's at Mr. Lucky Official. Well, um, Mark... It's been a great chat. Thanks so much for sharing today. Internal plus external plus actions equals luck. I say it equals results. Great having you on, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at Scriberbase.com. Want to start your own podcast in 2022? Visit e2coursehub.com for more info on our step-by-step guide to bring your show to market. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. DC, I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. 
We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electrocast.